podcraft. This episode is sponsored by Still Point Wellness. I love Still Point Wellness. I love the staff. I love their services. They offer a very unique spa experience in Asheville. All of their services are designed to help you unplug from the stresses of today's modern world. And boy, do we all need that. They do it through services like saltwater flotation, also known as sensory deprivation, the world-renowned Esalen massage, cranial psychotherapy, and somatic psychology. They are locally owned and operated by my dear friends, Corey Costanzo and Robin Fan Costanzo. Corey is a somatic therapist and he teaches mindfulness meditation courses. And Robin is an internationally renowned massage instructor who was actually inducted into the Massage World Hall of Fame. Their highly skilled massage staff have each trained under Robin and each earned full certification to practice Esalen Massage. I love Esalen Massage. I know it. I'm an Esalen Massage practitioner. It is a fantastic massage. Together, Koi and Robin have created a world-class experience in understanding the mind-body connection through deep relaxation. So contact them at stillpointwell.com or call 828-348-5372. And don't forget to mention discount code PREPO to get 10% off your first float and first Esalen massage. I really believe that you're going to love the experience. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. On today's episode, why communicating consent matters in healthy relationships. I talk again with Lee Warren. Lee is a co-founder, designer, and builder of an off-grid, sustainable-built co-housing neighborhood at Earthhaven Echo Village in Black Mountain, North Carolina. She is the founder and manager of Imani Farm, a five-acre pasture-based cooperative farm, and a managing partner of Soil, School of Integrative Living, which teaches organic food production, regenerative systems, and community living. Lee is also an herbalist, a writer, a teacher, a food activist, with an avid interest in rural wisdom, alternative relationships, sustainable economics, and women's issues. She's also the executive director of the Organic Growers School in Asheville, North Carolina. So we have a very varied conversation around consent. As important consent is, we don't talk about it enough. So it's understandable that sometimes we're unsure about what it is. People typically talk about consent in the context of some kind of sexual and physical activities, and we do explore that in our conversation. However, consent isn't always about sex. Consent should be involved in our everyday lives. Consent applies to any situation you could ever imagine finding yourself in. Consent can be as simple as asking someone if you can touch the eyelash 
that's on their cheek to remove it. So in some sense, it's finding our own yeses and finding our own noes. Where is our choice? If we are in choice, we can live an authentic life. Lee touches upon what's called the wheel of consent. It's a very interesting conversation on that. And also in the work world and how consent allows for collaboration and cooperation. So we talk about how agency is so important in the understanding of consent. And you can foster healthy relationships and strengthen friendships and allow people to feel safe in your encounters. So enjoy this episode, Why Communicating Consent Matters in Healthy Relationships. Thanks for coming back again, and we're going to be exploring and talking about something that we brought up in one of our last discussions around consent. It's a big one, big aspect of relationships, and especially right now, the education around uh, sexual and physical consent. Can you tell me some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, we're learning so much in this world as things are emerging, and I think in historically, we've had expectations of each other in relationship that we were supposed to fill X, Y, or Z need of the other person without checking in with ourselves. And I think this new teaching is bringing us really aware of our agency and our sovereignty and the idea that we need to be completely and 100% at choice at all times about what's true for us and about our actions. So that really calls into question so much personal integrity. And again, that intrapersonal understanding of finding our own yes and finding our own no. And so often we're raised from little children to conform to the expectations of others, our parents, the school system, the peers around us, our teachers. And so as we emerge as independent beings with agency, the question is, where is our truth? Where is our choice? And if we are at choice in all moments, then we can really live an authentic life. And I think these teachings around consent, which are focused on sexuality, are as a result of the Me Too movement and the realization that so many people are feeling victimized and abused in many realms, sort of uh, emotionally, psychologically, spiritual abuse, as well as in the sexual realm. And so part of that is because when we tap into our sexual natures, often that's part of the part of the brain that's more like the reptilian brain. We have sort of four functions, four different components of the brain. And sexuality sort of resides a more reptilian part of our brain. So we don't have access to language there, especially if we don't practice language there. So I love this consent training that's emerging. And and my mentor, a woman that I've just seen on YouTube is Betty Martin, who does a program called The Wheel of Consent. She's sort of an engineering mind. and She sketches out this entire wheel of how consent can work in our lives. And it's quite complex. The idea is, can I do something to you for my pleasure or for your pleasure? 
And can you do something to me for my pleasure or your pleasure? That could just be a walk in the park or bringing you flowers. But the idea is that you have your own agency. However, whatever way I'm going to be interacting with you, I want to be developing my own awareness of your agency so that I check in and I make sure you are a yes if you say yes. And I check in again. So this is where we've gotten into trouble with sexual abuse because there's lots of assumptions and expectations and social overlays and we aren't communicating with each other. So this consent language is giving us a framework, not only as the receiver, but the giver, it can get complex and also putting language to the parts of our brains that maybe aren't quite as online in our adult selves. So it's a great new area of thinking and empowerment for both sides of the equation. This isn't passive on either Mm -hmm. side. Right, and that's adulting, as you're saying, because that's coming into our adulthood of asking for what we want, knowing what we want, respecting the other's wants and needs. And I think that comes vital first, is that part of even getting past the uncomfortableness that people have when they're going to exert their needs or even ask about the other person's needs, you know, getting past this whole aspect of shame and embarrassment and uncomfortableness. That's the first step that many people have to really work with to extend their worthiness to be able to ask for what they want. Right. And a lot of this comes from childhood where we're not allowed to say no, right? We're not allowed to feel negative emotions or whatever is considered in our family negative emotions. We're not allowed to say no to our parents. We actually aren't raised with agency. So then we get to adulthood and we have all those patterns in place. They're all embodied within us. And then we don't get to practice. We don't get to role play. You know, I've been part of these tantra communities where we spend days role playing saying yes and saying no and finding our truth because only then are we going to create authentic intimacy. And in fact, I have a couple of dear friends who I know have a hard time saying no. That's one of their whole, you know, it's part of their life journey. It's part of their personal growth. And so because I love them, I'm extra, extra careful to approach them with a request or with an engagement where I read their body language extra carefully. I double check with them extra carefully. I check back again with them extra carefully because I know that's a growing edge for them. So I'm trying to help them emerge and trying to make it safe for them to say no. And I think that's what's again emerging in the Me Too movement. Often this is women, but not across the board where when women get paralyzed when they're in often in a situation and so we need to be teaching all of us but in particular men if they're heterosexual and they're loving women that women sometimes get frozen in these ways and so how do we get literate on both sides of that equation just that basic aspect to be able to say no you know we are starting to be able to understand that how we have to go retro in our lives to really understand that concept of, are we able able to say no? How was that expressed in our families? How was that accepted? You know, there's many times I tell clients, no means no, you don't have to defend it. You don't have to explain it. Just really experiment with saying, no, do you want to go to the party tomorrow? No. Well, why not? You're off tomorrow. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, but you said that you wanted to go to the party last week. Yeah, no. You don't have to explain your nose. And I think certain levels of experimenting with embodying what we know to allow ourselves to choose what's right for us. We have to experiment to know what that is. And if we're experimenting, especially in relationship with that being in the open, 
both partners are understanding that these are experimentations that I'm working an edge. How can you support me with this? Or I'm going to tell you how you can support me. I'm going to be putting out a lot more no's and so forth. So go ahead and work with your own rejection because that's the other half that people have to work with to be able to receive a no. Yeah, that rejection piece is a good one. And I'd like to reframe that. And I'm trying to reframe that in my own life and the teachings that I have been getting from some of my mentors is that, and certainly in the whole tenet of nonviolent communication is that when you say no to me, you're saying yes to something else. That's your sovereignty. That's your agency. And I can celebrate that. Can we see, can we learn to see no as a you saying yes to something else? This has nothing to do with me most of the time. It has everything to do with you and what's true for you in the moment. And it frees me up. Your no frees me up to go look for what I wanted somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I can just move on down the road. And it's where we get wound around the axle of now I'm being rejected. That's right. The truth of the matter is most things that people do in most days are not personal to anybody else. And so if we can reframe no as a rejection to no as a liberation, I am hearing your truth. And if I can hear your no, I can trust your yes. That's a big deal. I That's can right. trust you. Yeah. Trusting the no's and trusting your yeses, I think, is that absolutely vital. There's a point, too, I like to work with when somebody says no to me, I want to take that as totally face value. Okay, that's not what you want. Or the aspect of asking, hey, are you okay right now? Is uh, How do you feel about that? And they say, fine. I'm going to trust that they're fine. Let them adult. So I think when you said that you were working with those friends and double checking and so forth, I think that's wonderful when you know that and that you know that they're working on that issue. And then I think that there's a phase that people have to get to the aspect of like, I'm not going to keep checking. You're an adult. I'm going to trust you by what you say. And I think that's the level that we need to get to in our language is what you tell me, I'm going to trust that you know yourself and you know what's good for yourself. That's in the no's and that's especially in the yeses also. Well, not especially, but in both. Yeah, that's a beautiful point. And I think that's a sophisticated experiment and we're all sort of on the journey. You know, I, I see myself as someone who's bold and assertive and generally don't have a problem with my yeses and nos. And I can actually sort of push people around because I am so clear about right. who I am. And that has relational consequences at the same time, <laughs> because not everybody's on that journey. And I also just have the privilege of growing up in an Italian culture where women are encouraged to be bold and assertive. So I, I didn't have as much baggage to overcome, but certainly in So did you have to temper the other way then? Did you have to temper more of that aspect? Like you said, now you're checking in more with people, more of a softening than the boldness? Well, I'm also a female-bodied and cisgender-identified woman, and so I had another whole set of conditioning around pleasing other people and mm. empathizing with other people and giving them the answer they want to give. So I have multiple parts of me, but I think I have an easier time than most of the women I know to say no and, and give an authentic yes. But I've also done 30 years of personal growth work to yeah. be able to get there. There you go. And so when we are interacting with the multitudes of people in our lives, we can't always expect that. I think for our primary partners or our closest in people, we need to encourage, require, demand. We need to be able to trust their responses. We that, need to. That's why I feel in, in my relationship with you. That's what I know. I know you're going to mean what you say. 
So if you say no or if you say yes to something, I don't have to guess that that's not your truth, that you're not standing by it. And do you really respect mine also? And that's wonderful to have that kind of trust. And sure, it can get edgy sometimes, but the aspect of trust that, that I know you are going to receive what I say, my no's and my yeses, my agreements and not, and really respect them. That container of having that in a relationship enables relationships to go on to another level of understanding and negotiating and so forth. Yeah, beautiful. And it's also the practice of not taking it personally, mm. you know, and I think nonviolent communication, the practice of that over 20 years has really helped me. Your no is representing a feeling and a need and a, a requirement for your life that I, if, if I care about you, I want that to be true for you. So not taking that personally, really, really, I think, getting the agency of each of us. And I think part of how our, our model of relationships has sort of turned us into a little bit codependent and so finding our feet again around our own agency and consent is sexy i think there's another thing i think people sometimes mm. fear that consent is going to take the romance out of things it's going to take the spontaneity out of things it's going to take us from our reptilian brain where things are hot into our neocortex where things are conscious and i think that some of our best and sensual and sexual encounters can happen when we weave consent in because it is blending those worlds and i think consent can take us to whole new levels that we never even imagined possible. Talk about that, Miles. Consent is sexy. I mean, what's coming up right now is, you know, somebody that knows themselves and giving consent and asking for what they want is a, is a very much of a turn on in many ways sexually, or the aspect of being able to really receive my desire, my putting out of what it is that that I want from somebody else, and being able to be received in that way is very much sexy in some ways. Is that what you mean? Yeah, it's sort of reinforcing the adulting, yeah. as you've been saying. It's reinforcing the sovereignty and the agency. Um, I think sometimes people think if I do consent, I can't do kink or BDSM or uh, some of the more edgy sexual practices. But all of those are different layers of consent, right? If we do move into the world of kink, there are safe words. Actually, Excellent. the world of kink yes, actually uh, knows no, how to work with, with consent. consent. Exactly. They've been showing us in many ways of more vanilla of us how to work with consent. So yeah, it can be sexy in that these days for me, if I'm in a sensual encounter and something happens or I'm touched or someone assumes something, I actually shut down. I actually, my whole system shut down because I wasn't asked. And I think when I'm asked and I'm given the choice to say yes or no, or not quite that, but this, my whole body is more open to the engagement. So I think um, when we assume, you know, I remember growing up and just learning to be sexual and you just fumbled around and you're just supposed to know how to do things and you weren't supposed to give feedback. And, you know, the whole thing was in such darkness. Yeah. And so I think with consent, we can even now open the door to, well, I don't like that, but I want you to touch me. I want you to touch me more like this. So we can start exchanging more and more information and actually making the encounter better for everyone. Yeah. Because if you're touching me and I'm not liking it, you don't want that experience. You don't want me to be gritting my teeth and going through something I don't want. You want me to speak up and say, I'd rather have this. So, wow, what, and what creativity we can create when we can communicate. The creativity, that's the beauty of it. And to really let our listeners know that they don't need to at that moment actually know what they want or need. They can just even 
take it as an exploration to say, I'm not too sure how I want to be touched right now. Let's try this and I'll tell you if I like that. So you don't have to know right off the bat. The aspect is, is to communicate how the experience is going for you, whether you continue want that or not. But people get caught up in that they think that they need or should know how they want to be touched instead of it letting it be an exploration, but be an active participant in the yes and the no of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love this wheel of consent model because if you find in your in your sexual relationship that one person is always on the receiving end and one person is on the giving end, or one person is always touching to please, including touching to get pleasure, it really can shake this up because getting in that any kind of rut in a sexual relationship can be boring and stale. And we want to try all the aspects of ourselves. So the wheel of consent is helpful to grow an edge for someone if they haven't been touched for that person, for the toucher's pleasure. That might be something to try and experiment with as long as everyone's in consent just really gives me another focus of a way to work with couples in this way of really emphasizing around consent. How do you see consent also overlapping outside of the sexual realm with people? Well, I think about it in the work world and in my relationship, I'm, I'm a director and, and my paid work and I have a staff of people and the bottom line is me and there is a hierarchy and I am their boss. But in so many ways, I want the feeling of and the experience of collaboration and cooperation. And so how I work with people is, I'd like to see this happen. What do you think about this? Are you on board with this? Because if if you're not, then it's not going to happen. If people aren't doing what they love, if they're not in agreement with what they're doing, then it's the whole thing falls apart. So even just in a professional world, getting to know people and what their yes and what their no is, is crucial. When people are a yes, you're going to just sail through and just have so many less obstacles. And we want to get rid of this idea of coercion and expectations and codependency in all areas of our lives with our friends, with our parents, with our children, you know, especially with our children. If we can move towards this idea of collaborative parenting where, and not that they don't have structure and not that they don't have discipline, but that you find your child's yes and no, Mm. and that you honor it from an early age. Absolutely. Yeah. That is so vital, the aspect of consent. I'm even thinking in the way of the basic skills of communication, for instance, listening. I tell people sometimes, hey, why don't you check in with, see what the person may want. You might ask them before you talk, do you need me to just listen and not respond at all? Do you need me to come with some offerings and some advice? Do you want me to reflect back what I'm hearing? And that aspect of consent, even from the listener, let alone the speaker can do that also. They can say, you know, I just want to tell you what I need right now. That part that people don't even use on the basic aspects of their communication. And it goes way better when the aspect of understanding and consent is given of how we even want to communicate at times with each other. That's beautiful. I want to ask you a question, which is how do you deal with this in a marriage where the couple is monogamous and one person wants more sex than the other? And part of the structure of the idea of consent is that if you say, no, I can get my needs met elsewhere. But in that context, uh, we've made an agreement to only meet that need with each other. How, How do you think that that enhances or detracts from relationship? I think that's one of the most complicated issues that come up with monogamous couples around their sexual relationships. I think that there's a vital aspect of keeping the focus of 
the respect and dignity of the two people in the conversation. Because sometimes it, it starts to separate that aspect of my needs and you're not meeting my needs. To me, it's the communication, what's actually underneath it, the foundation of our connection. Can you understand what I'm speaking or my needs? And is your needs to not have it, let's just say, how much of that is negotiable for my needs to have it, maybe even in a different form. Maybe we can just start off just touching each other, just maybe even being sensual and just do that for a bit. I think the aspect about if people want to stay in the monogamous aspect of the relationship, there is some part of not making impulsive decisions just to get a certain need met. I think it's underneath what the need is. Is it just a physical sexual need? Because a lot of times people aren't really communicating in emotional transparency in their relationship, which is one of the biggest aphrodisiacs. And when they're not doing that, they're not enhancing their aspects of their physical and sexual intimacy. So for me, it's not so cut and dry. It's really looking at a lot of aspects that can take our relationship to a deeper level, even when we have differences or different desires. Working with that aspect of jealousy and lack is a huge one. If one partner wants to go out and get their needs satisfied sexually outside the relationship, what comes up for the other person around the jealousy and the feeling rejected and so forth? So I think before all of those decisions are made, it's looking what's underneath it to get an understanding, to make a healthy decision around that. Is there areas of, if I'm wanting more sex in my relationship, a lot of that is also creativity, the aspect of my creative life. It's also how adults play. Sex is also how adults play. So I have to look at times, am I having enough play in my life, period? So that what I think is my sexual desire need is actually an aspect to be more playful in life. When I foster more playful in life, the aspect of my need sexually from this one person is not honed and focused in this great drama of need. Some of that gets satisfied and then we're able to work out our desires and needs around it because the pressure of it is also off. So for me, there's many things to look at before it's cut and dry about, okay, making a decision to get the sexual needs elsewhere. So that's just one aspect that I think is interesting to, to explore before that part of making that decision. Right. So what I'm hearing you saying is you see the humanity in the other person and you also see the humanity in yourself and that these things are complex. It may not be that single pointed. I once heard a therapist say, if a couple is having sexual problems, it's a spiritual issue. Mm. And if they're having spiritual problems, it's a sexual, sexual issue. issue. Have you ever heard that? Yes. yes. Yeah. Do you I, feel like it holds true? I do. I do feel it holds true because the aspects of our sexual relationship with ourselves and others Hopefully, we experience it being a spiritual experience of something beyond ourself, the aspects of expressing ourselves beyond ourself. And of course, in orgasm and an aspect of procreating, there's a whole creation that takes place through a sexual act that can take place through a sexual act. So just in itself, that's a spiritual act. And people don't correlate that. And if they did more of it, they might understand what areas they need to focus more on their life. Mm-hmm. And back to the consent, I have another question that I wonder about too. We have a culture of people who are hungry for touch, right? But now we have this culture coming in of like, don't touch without asking, mm. right? So does that put up more barriers to intimacy between us? Maybe that, you know, maybe not those of us who are partnered or have lovers, but those of us in community, are we afraid to touch? Are we afraid to reach out? 
What do you think of that aspect? I think that there is that that's coming into afraid to touch, but also it comes from not having the comfortability of that touch just in our culture itself, right? So, so many other cultures, for instance, as you know, Arabic cultures, how men touch each other and hold hands in a Western culture is, is, is a foreign concept for most men. So even the aspect, I think, of understanding where we're coming from, first we have to take incline to what's happening in the aspect of, is it creating a barrier around the consent to touch? I think just the emotional transparency of talking about it and even thinking about it, to me, is an aspect of that connection. And of course, then that takes the aspect of the physical connection itself. But if I'm connected from an emotional transparency standpoint, then I think the physical act is gravy in some way because I would imagine I want a certain connection. It's a physical connection. However, if I'm not connected in other ways, that physical connection is just a tactile experience for my body. It's not integrated into a deeper connection. So it's understanding the connection on different levels. Somebody that is willing to talk about their needs, somebody who's willing to ask, are we able to connect on a deeper level in that? And I know for myself, I'm really spontaneous. I love to just hug people. And I know I have friends that their boundaries are pretty good and open because I just come up behind them and I just bear hug them and almost knock them to the ground in my excitement. They know that about me. They like my excitement in it. And there's a part of me that is me and I want to be in a relationship with people that allow that. So sometimes that is a barrier. I know to me, somebody who perhaps wouldn't receive that in that tone, I have a certain lack of connection in that area. So just thinking about that can be a barrier at times for me. How about for you? Yeah, I'll I'll speak to the other side of that because I'm really trying on these days the idea of I don't want to be touched without being asked. And it's a sort of phase of life that I'm in. And I think as a woman having body parts like mine commodified my entire life Mm. and the idea that I have to be available for whoever and whenever they want me to be available, especially the people close to me, something is really helping me in my psyche to say, I don't belong to you. I'm not for sale. I'm not available. There's something healing in that process. And so I wonder if it's okay, you know, for some period of time to go through this phase we're all in of we don't touch without asking. Mm. I think it's retraining us. And then maybe we can get to a point where we know people well enough or we can have some body language awareness well enough so that we might be able to weave in. But for me, I think it's been remarkable. Mm, That's nice to hear. I bet you it must be challenging because most people, I think at some phase, they ask while they're moving into the act of actually touching. That's even a greater challenge to be able to say your nose while somebody is actually moving into the act of doing it. Right. Because they haven't made it fully conscious, right? That would be it. They know they're supposed to ask, but they haven't really embodied the importance or the understanding of why that is. So they're, they're mixing the messages. I'm going to hug you and then I'm also going to ask you. But I think when we really embody why this is important, I think we can get conscious and it's not dorky or awkward. And mm-hmm. how I generally these days say it to people is, are you a hugger? Are you available for a hug? Mm-hmm. Are you available for a touch? And it's so respectful. Yeah. People feel so respected. And I know when people do that and they give me that mixed message thing, like they come at me and they're asking me, I will sometimes put my hand out, you know, yeah. like stay in your seat, exactly. stay there for a second, yeah. really make contact with me. Yeah. 
that phrase just are you available for i think it's vital that you can even we can even bring in the aspect are you available for a conversation are you available for me to tell you about my day and the aspect to be able to take somebody's no you know no means i want to be present i care about you right now i'm not i'm doing something else i think in in those circumstances what i think is advantageous is the person when they say no it may be good to to say when they may be available for that no i'm not available for that now how about four o'clock in, in that way? Because then the person that can receive the no, they know that they can go about their business. And if that person says they're going to come back at four, they come back at four, not the other one going to them. I can trust when that person says no and they can say the next day I'm more willing to do that. Then I can trust that they're going to do what they say. And I think from that aspect of consent and even a relationship to ask things around communication is so vital. It works much better. Right. I think that what you were saying earlier about no is a complete sentence is definitely true. But can we have a whole basket of no's? Can we have a hundred different ways to say no? And if the, you know, no with the semi shout is one of those ways, Mm. if we're feeling threatened or agitated or activated in some way, but then another no could be, I care so much about you. And I love that you're bringing me this request and I'm a no right now for this reason potentially, and I'd like to check back with you. So that could be a more complex note, not that we're required to give all that information, because again, at the baseline, no is a complete sentence, but we can give more information. And I love the idea of having, you know, like I think of a basket with a hundred slips of paper in it, and these are a hundred different ways to say no. Like, let's get really good at saying no in whatever ways we need to, because that's gonna deepen relationship. My no is going to deepen your understanding and care and compassion for me if it's delivered and received in the appropriate ways. I love that. What you said earlier, that no makes room for a yes to really be able to look at what somebody is choosing for, choosing to go towards in their no instead of what they're not getting or what they are lacking and so forth or the aspect of that person taking it as a rejection instead of thinking what is that person actually and what are we gaining I love that part of that interrelationship to be able to say no in different ways that may even work for certain relationships. I can say no in a different way in another relationship that will work perfectly than it would in maybe another relationship. So to be able to know how to go about that differently, depending on the agreements between the people, that makes these relationships very unique. Yeah, I think the problem is that the person saying no also starts to get paralyzed, right? Because it's, we have so little experience with it. And so the basket with a hundred different ways to say no is only after we're actually comfortable, only after we've given ourselves permission to say no. Because if you ask me something and then I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to say no. Now my body's rigid. Now I'm shutting down. Now my jaw is tight. I don't know how to, I'm going to, I want to, don't want to hurt you. And so I don't have a hundred options in the basket. I just have betrayal of you or betrayal of myself. So I think we need to transform that language to it's a sacred obligation for me to be honest with myself and you. And so that's going to take some practice Mm. and allowance and encouragement of us all to get, again, robustly literate about this. And I think it's true that every time someone says no, they're saying yes to something else. Mm. They're saying Mm -hmm. yes to their own privacy. They're saying yes to their own rest. They're saying yes to their own whatever it is. 
how much focus and attention that this does take to be able to know ourselves, to be able to speak and experiment. And with another person, it takes time and effort in a relationship to come to those things. Sure, some people, we do it faster, we connect faster. If we choose well, maybe there's more smoothness. But there's a lot of effort that needs to take place and just the consciousness of spending time to understand these agreements. And many people don't take that time whatsoever to do it. They expect it to happen totally overnight, a big click, but they don't take the time to do that. What's your thoughts about the aspect of over-processing or the aspect of just also knowing there's not a match? Well, when we get into deeper and more intimate relationships, it's never a simple no, right? I mean, do you want a coffee? You can say yes or no to, but you know, we're, we're so intertwined. And, and that's why I come back to this idea that the pair bonded model has some serious flaws built into it, partly because we get our expectations all wound around that other person. And so there's not as much room for our partners to say no in certain areas. Sexual can be one of them, but it could be, can you take care of the kids while I go out? Can you sleep in your own space tonight? Cause I want some of my own dream time, any number of things that is not supposed to be what a marriage looks like or what a primary pair bonded relationship looks like. So I think we've set ourselves up in a way so that in primary monogamous relationships, we're not allowed to say no. Uh, so how can we practice that? in all of our levels of intimacy. This is such a beautiful practice for mm. us to bring in. Right, throughout all of our relationships and to also know that some of those relationships, I know for me, I'll enjoy the processing. I'll enjoy spending time working on it with somebody. Others, I may not, and others I might not need to. Somebody could be a real straight shooter, and I love if they're just a straight shooter, but I don't want all my relationships to be maybe that straight. I want maybe more eloquence, maybe some more softness in it. So it is the beauty of when we're getting our desires and needs met from many different peripheries around in relationships that we don't look to one primary relationships again to satisfy all right. of that. The other thing about a no that I, as we're exploring this is really exciting to me is that if I'm not quite a yes, even if I'm a maybe, there's another more brilliant more vibrant, more thriving answer in there somewhere. So I'm thinking about this in a professional context, but it could apply sexual, it could apply relational in any way, which is if someone pitches an idea at me and I'm like, mm, I like it, but it's not quite a hit. Keep going. Let's try again. Let me toss it back to you. You toss it back to me. And if we can get to the like, yes, what mm. a world we would have yeah. if we would all say no until we're a heck Yes, right? That's one of my other teachers, Monique Darling, who says, if you're a maybe, you're a no. Right. If you're a maybe about anything, mm -hmm. you're a no. Keep going until you find your yes. Keep negotiating. Keep saying no, right? And it's easier when the pressure is not so intense, when it's not your partner standing there really yeah. needing something from you or it's emotionally charged. But yeah, if we can keep finding our yes, we're all going to live in bliss. It takes a lot of self-worth for people to want and know that they can move towards a big yes, that they deserve a yes and not just be complacent just for some aspects that they're willing to just settle for and know that they don't want that aspect of even what they're agreeing with. So many people don't even believe that they can get to a real yes. 
But we need that from them. Yeah. I mean, that's what I want to say. We need that from every human on the planet right. right now. Mm. Find your yes, because that's the world we all want to live in, is where everyone can really authentically find their yes. So we're giving you all permission to find your yes out there. Absolutely. And finding the yes is a process. There's a process of that in any aspect of it. The exploration and experimentation that you've used that word so often. And I loved having our conversations around that there is no just set pathway and answer and blueprint that we're just experimenting with all of this. And there's so many alternatives and, you know, we just want to encourage people to get into the mix of that creativity and not just have to feel pigeonholed into one aspect or a couple aspects of how to be. I've seen people who are learning this language of consent who say, how do I know? How do I know mm. what I even feel? Right. If I have someone in front of me saying, uh, would you like to go for a walk with me? And I think, do I take their desire into account? You know, and so even this idea of somatizing, right? What, how do I learn my own, in my body, in my, in my actual soma, in my actual physical existence, what's yes and what's no for me? Mm. Just that literacy. That, exactly. So I can take for a minute the request for a walk and I can say, okay, thank you for the request. Give me a minute. Let me feel in to what's true for me. And as we practice that more and more, that's going to go from a whisper to a shout. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad that you brought the body sense into the, the body knowing of what is a yes and what is a no. I like to be able to sit in the center of the solar plex area and ask those questions. If the question comes up, do I want to take a walk? And I'll experiment with the word yes and see if there's an expansion or a contraction. It's an expansion to me, that's a yes. When it's a contraction, it's a no. And so getting used to using that apparatus is so important. You know Rainbow and how she speaks at times and what I loved when I first met her. I remember she asked me this question. So do you feel for broccoli or do you feel for cauliflower? And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Now let me, let me take a moment and feel this out. Do I feel for broccoli or do I feel for... And that became more of my language. Do you feel for going out? Do you feel for a walk? Do you feel for purchasing this? Do you feel for cauliflower? And that's been a, such a wonderful gift to be able to come in and really feel it. Where is it in my body that I feel this? Do I feel this? Yes. I love that. And as we get more sophisticated, I think we can have a dial, which is... Wow, you're asking me for a walk right now. Something doesn't quite feel like yes. Let me think, is it you that I don't want to be with? Or is it the walk that I don't want? Or is there something? Well, let me let me think. Like, actually, I'd like to hang with you, but can we have tea instead of a walk? Mm. I'm not feeling for the walk. Like, this is where we can get to be really creative and have the life we really want. And other people are generally willing to negotiate with us to also create as much. When we can really be in our yes, I think the truth is we can really be in as much ecstasy as we want to create in this mm. life. And not even sexual ecstasy, just heart ecstasy, just body ecstasy, if we're living as much in our yes as we can. Well, I'm so glad that you didn't say no to coming over here and, and rapping with me about- I'm a big this, yes. Uh, yeah, this was a big <laughs> yes for me. So I hope that we get another big yes and that you join me for another really cool conversation. I really, really love where we go. It's very juicy. Thank you for having me. Mm. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. 
For more on licensed professional counselor Pripo Teplitsky, visit HeartshareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier at podcraft.us.